to another episode of Relative Pitch. We hope you enjoyed last week's episode. This week has been really busy, really interesting for me. Um, So I was able to, this past weekend, do the pre-concert lectures for the Subscription 2 concert this past week at the Seattle Symphony. Um, And the program, it was very interesting. It was the uh, Diedrich Spetna's The Moldau, um, which I actually got to play in undergrad. Um, Michael's like, I love that piece. Love it. fun piece to play. Um, it starts off with a flute two solo, so you know I had to have my little moment. Um, and then <laughs> it was a cello concerto by um, Finnish composer conductor Asa Pekka Salonen, who had that. He was a person who had the iPad commercial that back we remember back in the way. They, uh, the, he's a conductor composer Finnish, and he did iPad commercial, which is really interesting. We might have to talk about that one day. Um, but the cello concerto is super cool because it has like electronics and it loops around. So it, when you're in the crowd, you're like, where is that coming from? Like it sounded like aliens, honestly. And this, this, um, the cellist was going in, like he, he was throwing the, the, the strings were coming off the bow. I was like, you better get it off. Oh, wow. It was why it was so fun. And then it ended with Dvorak seven, which is so interesting because you're usually used to hearing, you know, six or, um, uh, nine, eight, but to hear seven, seven is completely different than all the other Dvorak's because it is free from Slavic melodies because of what the tension that was happening between the Czechs and the Slavs at that time. So you don't hear this this ro- ro- like robust bohemian sound that you're used to with Dvorak. You hear like, honestly, it's like nautical. It's like Brahms, it's like Germanic. Mm. So it was a really interesting concert to, to PCL for. And also the guest conductor for this week is Jonathan Hayward, who's the newly appointed uh, conductor at a music director at the Baltimore Symphony and I got to meet him and escort him to a master class and I got to talk to him. He's from Augusta. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. It, was, you know, it was just so much fun. Like it was amazing. So you're from Augusta. You're from Augusta. There's two major or there's two major orchestral conductors. Georgia. Georgia. Because Roger Cox is from Macon. He's from Augusta. Okay. I'm just saying. Look at him. Does he wear them long, colorful Augustan suits? Uh-uh, not the Augustan suits. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Augusta pimp suit. Yeah, I'm telling you, girl. <laughs> no, you I know he's from Augusta. Him. I think I convinced him to go check it. He hasn't been back in a while. Obviously, he's like, I think he's used to living now over in um, in Europe. So, like, he hasn't been back in a while. But he still has family in Charleston. And so I think he's going to go back and visit. So that was just really cool seeing all that um, and getting to talk to. Get, he's so humble. Oh my gosh, he is literally like he's like please like I'm I'm just Jonathan. I'm like you literally are like a celeb. Like please, oh, we, we must give you your flowers. Um, but no, that was fun. What's been happening in y'all's world this past week? Mm. What was that grunt? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long week. Mm-hmm. Been a long week. This weekend was supposed to be replenishing, but Georgia kind of went, and um, so my Saturday wasn't the best. But then me and Anthony went to the Valhalla Classic. Mm. Enjoyed a couple of good shows, good bands, good kids. So it was a long week, y'all. Yeah, it was a long week. It was an interesting week for me. Um, so as you know, I'm in grad school and, uh, one of, you know, one, I'm having a great time at grad school. I really love it. I really love the people. They're learning a lot of new ideas to challenge my old ideas and it's all fun. 
Um, but as you know, when you go to grad school, you have to take classes that sometimes you would just not rather do. Like, honestly, when I was thinking about grad school, I was like, I only want to deal with conducting and I only want to deal with music. Anything else, not it. So, um, but I am in this one class and it's actually been well. It's for your first, you know, kind of grad school students. Um, but this topic this week was diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm, buzzy, buzz, buzz. Buzz words, aren't they? Buzz words, aren't they? And if you are a, a um, resident member of Relative Pitch, you know that we have covered these topics quite often. I mean, we've even had a uh, entire, you know, GMA session about it. Um, so when I heard that this is coming in, uh, going to be in class, I was like, you know, I am just going to lay back, you know. That's it. Like, and for me in those spaces, because I am the only Black person in this class, just FYI, only Black person. So, and I've been in, in that space before. At a previous show, I wasn't the only one, but there was only three of us. So whenever it became a question about, you know, uh, systemic racism or blah, 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 the all eyes go straight to the... The one drop of color in the room. Amen. <laughs> so it's like... Um, I knew. So I was like, you know, I'm going to go in here. I'm, my head is going to be down. Like, I'm just listening. Because even me, I mean, I learned new things just listening to a phenomenal, phenomenal chief diversity officer at UGA. Um, he is amazing. Okay. Amazing. The way he moderated conversations, the, his topics, they were great. Okay. So UGA, you were doing well with him uh, on the lead for uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Just want to put that out there. Um, so some of the topics uh, that he started off class was kind of three questions. And, and one of the questions was, what are your core beliefs um, relating to diversity, equity, inclusion? Um, the other question was, uh, does diver diversity, equity, inclusion belong in your classroom slash program, whatever? So people raise their hands to to answer the questions, specifically the first one. Uh, people would like say, "Okay, inclusion rings to me because of this," or uh, "Equity rings to me more because of this." Um, and then a person um, raised uh, their hand and was like, "I'll go." Mind you, this was after a whole silence. And one thing I loved about the diversity uh, chief officer, he was like, I would sit in silence. He was <laughs> like, most people would try to, you know, fill up dead space. I'll sit with silence until somebody's ready to speak. Ooh. And I said, <clears throat> Ooh, and so will I. <laughs> <laughs> so will I. <laughs> so will I. You ain't about to get me. Right. And so... Um, a person raised their hand and I was like, okay. Um, and they said, um, this might be controversial. And I said, oh shit. <laughs> I said, here we go. Like I knew, I knew, you know, again, I am not expecting everybody to have my opinions on diversity and inclusion, even though I personally believe that 
come on now, we all got to coexist some type of way. Something like there are just facts, but whatever. So he uh, kind of starts off talking about white privilege. Like mm -hmm. I, I, I understand that I have white privilege and um, I try my best not to, you know, really, really prescribe to that. And I'm like, okay, I hear a but, I hear a however, it's something, there's about to be a sharp left turn. And although. <laughs> and although. Oh, I love a good although. <laughs> I'm here, like, it's coming, it's coming. And then they proceed to say, I believe that certain people have, you know, won positions or got um, into higher places Ba just based on the color of their skin. Name them. Oh. Uh. <laughs> well, and, and you know what? The chief director, uh, the chief officer said, can you give us an example? Because if you're going to say it, you better say it. Like, uh, no, 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 please give us a name them. Right. And your head just do this until oh, they say no name. You ain't got to say no names, but it, give the example that you're referring to. And okay. they gave the example of at a previous institution um, for a performance, I guess, for a donor performance, mm -hmm. uh, there were, I guess, people of color that was chosen over him to mm -hmm. play at this event. Mm -hmm. In my head, it's like, and oh, let me let me say this: the one of the things that I loved about the chief officer was he said everything is based on your perspective. Mm. Because to this person who is you know upset about not performing here, that's his perspective. My perspective is like, well, they probably chose people of color because it is a donor event, and okay. they have to appear that they are diverse that's number one also didn't they win jobs or positions yeah like when jobs that's not a job or a position yeah that's what's so weird to me like i was expecting him to be like oh like i would i did this competition and i really thought i should have won and then someone who wasn't white won and again I I won. that's still not a job or position if that's right. a position you're absolutely right there, he has placed no monetary value that someone gets reoccurring payments because of this. Can I also, can we take one step back and go back to the idea of being in a classroom where you are the only person of color or the only like black person or yet yeah, person of color in general and people looking to you as if you are the spokesperson for your uh, group, for your like culture. And the whole thing is like, I, I will continue to say this. Blackness is not a monolith. There is, oh, there are so many different ways to be word. black. To That's be a really black. big word. Mo monolith. That's um, a big word. I'm going to look at So annoying is because, and I have friends, I, I really, I have an amazing friend who um, is uh, English. She just finished, got her um, master's in um, English. Shout out, Lavana, we love you. Uh -huh. and, with within her area of study, she is often the only black person in, in those classrooms, um, especially in her program at that level. And she is always looked to to be seen as the person to speak for the, the underprivileged and the underrepresented and, and the black people and the black women. And she's like, that's not my job. 
my job is not to be your spokesperson so that you can bounce things off me and feel like you're doing your job. And like I have so I have actually encountered many more people who think from this perspective, especially ever since all the things were happening in 2020 to now. So the idea that we're already in spaces that we don't feel like we occupy comfortably then to be put in a situation then that we're it we're supposed to talk we're like if people are looking at us like well why didn't they talk it's like why do i have to if i weren't here what you, what would y'all have said anyway like that's what i want to know <laughs> and you know what it, it to me and i'm and if the person who is listening to or whoever whoever was in that room if you're listening you know? to this episode number one this is all coming from my perspective okay mm-hmm. My perspective. This is what I took as a listener, as a a black person in the the only black person in the room. This is what I took. I would love for you to try to invalidate me. By the way, don't do it. (laughs) I'm gonna say I'm gonna don't don't even try, please. So this this is what I was taking because when that person started to speak, this might be controversial. I feel like the only reason they said that was because a a black person is sitting right behind that person and the person who is giving the the presentation is black as well Mm. because i would love to hear what that conversation would have unraveled if i wasn't present and that diversity officer wasn't present either oh i love those. there are other minorities in this class okay there they're not a lot, but there are like there are some Hispanic um, uh, students. There are I like how you're like trying to think about the classroom. Yeah, yeah. There, is, there is an Asian student. I think it's just us three. Mm. No, there's four of us. There's there's four minority people in this class. Yes, love that. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I would, my, my question was what would have been said if we weren't here? Well, we, we already know this because there are so many friends, like again, during the the 2020, when everything was kind of hitting the fan that they said they had many family members who thought just because they were in a whites only space, you know, being either at their home or at a family's whatever, that they could say anything they wanted to about other like uh, minorities. And they got checked by either someone or or that that person who um, I was talking to, because I had many people share this. They're like, I don't know why why you white people think that just because you're in a room full of white people that you say some crazy things about a minority that someone's not going to stand up and say something. Like, now, I'm sure most of the time that is the case. Correct. But even if someone's... what For me, it's more important. What do you do when there's not a minority in the room? Because in that situation, you don't have to. You are made, You are putting it on you to be the person to defend those people who are not there to speak for themselves. That shows more to me than if I were to be in the room with you. Correct. Correct. And I, I, I want to take this a little step further. To feel two things. One, to feel the, the privilege, the power of saying the only reason they got placed there is because they're a minority. So you're saying, I am better than them. 
I know that I'm better than them. But the only reason they got there is because they are black. Like, I haven't worked my ass off mm. to be here as well in these spaces. Most of the time, 10 times better. That's what you were saying. I, I want people that was in that class. This is a perspective from a Black person who has been doing music all of their life. And these are my experiences that I have spoken to other Black people that, that are in this music world. And kind of a consensus of us is that we we have all kind of felt that before. Is we have to work so hard to be counted still a step back. So then when I hear somebody say, oh, you only got there because you were black. <laughs> you basically said, I ain't worth shit. Nothing. Do you see how that right there is entirely disrespectful? Entirely disrespecting my art, my worth, and to you, the person who said it, you probably just thought you were saying something. But I, we always look what's underneath what you said. Oh, yeah. If you said that, what are you actually thinking? Mm -hmm. Because as soon as you said that, that's where my, I think that's why I got so upset. Not the fact that you, you, you know, you saw, you know, your experience, whatever. It was, I feel deep down in your heart, you're like, they they don't even play good. So the only reason they're truly there is because they are black. Mm -hmm. What I want to say about this is that exactly what you were saying earlier, there have been many times, like imposter syndrome is already such a big thing in like, minority communities within music but also all the fields like i remember reading about how like the the black girl who was at harvard law and this people were telling her she was only there because affirmative action like all these things these are happening in all the fields so do you not already think we think that ourselves mentally like don't you think we are literally like in going home thinking did i only win that because like I'm a minority, did I only win that because I'm a I'm a black like woman? Like did I only get that opportunity because they wanted it to look like me? Like we're already doing that. So if you think you're you're showing us something new, you're not. I we are, the work I had to do and am working to do is to so tell myself when I get these opportunities and these uh win these things that I did it because of my merit and that I worked my ass off to do that. It was not because whatever they think whatever their criteria was for it is different than mine. I know what I deserve and I know what I earned and I like I should be given. So that's but the craziest thing to then go like to say it out of your mouth as a white male mm. being like I think I was afforded something that someone who was a minority was given. I deserve that over them. Mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. what you're actually saying and i'm just like is it like it, do you if they weren't a minority would your answer be different if it was the same exact level of playing but it was just not a minority you probably would have brushed it off and be like oh well next time 
but it just happened to be because they were a minority that you went, man, something up here. Yeah. yeah. That's what it is. It wasn't me. Literally. Yeah, that's what it is. Literally. And to think about, um, I also find it funny because it's like, huh. So those two occasions that that you can think that that person could think of is basically how minority people feel almost at every audition. Like, oh, I probably didn't get that because they didn't want they don't want to ruffle the feathers with some color in their ensemble. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, wow, you've actually experienced what the entire topic of um the uh session the so there are systemic inequalities within music you finally got a little just this much this much right there right there between that you finally got to maybe experience a little bit of what minorities are are going through in this field you finally didn't get something and then oh it's color so uh, well there, there it is. I, I, my little violin is here. My little violin. Equity to people who don't understand what equity is and why there's a need for equity are the people who feel like things are being taken away from them when initiatives and things like this happen. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Correct. Did you have something else to say to that, Michael? No, that's just why. That's just why people being white people. But I want to ask, Mike, I mean, you are a white musician uh, mm -hmm. that, that are out here, you know, job hunting and everything else. And what are your experience when it when it comes to things like this? It's weird. Not in the fact that, like, I I agree fully with the I hate saying those words. I I fully agree with the initiatives. That has been coming out. Um, and I fully agree that people are now given the chance that they never were. So it is now even the playing field. But there are some people. How do I. How do I want to say this? Mm. Mm. Take your time, Pastor. <laughs> <laughs> and it reads. Um, like, I mean, there was, there was like a couple of professors that looked at me and said, here it is boss. And I'm like, mm, you really don't believe in these initiatives. Cause if you said, here it is. And they said what they said, which was pretty much like, if I have a and B and a is slightly better, but my administration has been on me about B I'm gonna need to take B. And I'm like, how about yeah? Because look at your studio. Look at who you've always taken, even when A was worse than B. Mm -hmm. Even when B proved to you over and over and over, you've always chosen A. So now that you have to be like, oh, I gotta be fair now. You ain't you. You didn't bother me. Mm. Why? What? You, were you trying to make me mad? Were you trying to be like, oh, strike up the white man anger, please? 
Like like the song from Pocahontas, Savages, Savages. I'm like, girl, this ain't it. That ain't it. That's not what we're doing here. Okay. How about it's called being fair? It's called looking at the CVs, looking at the resumes, looking at what they do as players, and then actually going off of that. Instead of, oh, I'm just going to choose this person. Because they look like the rest of my studio. Mm. And y'all know I need these people, these white people, white people, to stop giving so much props and praise to these people about how they've changed their studios after it was time. Mm. Not before. After. After the BLM movement started, you started to see a change. Mm. Before, milk, milk. So I'm just saying, like, give proper praise. Like, if they were doing it before BLM, awesome. They're doing it after. Mm. Was it their change? Was it their change? Oh, I have so much to say. Um, In terms of like, because I just was rereading the article about, or maybe it's a newer article that just came out talking to why there are not, like why there's such a lack of like diversity, specifically like black people within U.S. orchestras. And talking about this idea of like, well, blind auditions still don't help because you have to also think about the idea of resources that it takes to even get to the audition to be let. Also, auditions aren't 100% blind. They say that like when you get to the room, maybe the curtain's there and everything, but before the resume round, do they specify whether or not that is blind? Who actually gets invited to the in-person auditions to play? Right. person can definitely Facebook search because I know, like, oh, I think Facebook. everybody does this now. Get a resume. Let me go to Facebook. Let me go find out who this is. Exactly. That's why I wish resumes were the name were, were the names were taken off. You just put one, two, three, four, and somebody yeah, right. outside of that. Now, I don't know if that actually happens or not, but also a lot of orchestra, a lot. Some orchestras have recently went to cattle calls. Mm. I hate that they called that. They went to open call. Let's call it that. They've been to open calls, which pretty much you submit a resume. And if it shows that you, I think, went to a music school, that you can audition. And the first rounds are just shorter. Here's my thing, though. And this, this is a challenging topic to talk about. The idea of... Schools being like, okay, so your studio in the past has had a percentage of two black people Mm. and 10 overall people of color. You have to bump those numbers up by these percentages for this upcoming year. Is that something that as a student auditioning for that program and everything would, would make you feel a certain way on any side, being the side of like, a person of color and on the side of being not a person of color um how would that like legitimately how would that make you feel to know they're going oh well this year specifically we're also in addition to all like thinking about our normal degree of like musical excellence whatever our standards we're also saying we have to do these ideas of like percentages for minorities I mean, you could look at it from okay. Anthony's perspectives will be very different than mine. But you can look at it two ways. Like, 
Okay. If that's how, if that's why they want you there, how about you get in there, you get your degree and you start flipping tables after mm. you use them. But then that's a lot of psych. You have to be psychologically prepared. And that's the big part. But I mean, the same thing can be said for these big festivals and these little things like Interlochen, Blue Lake, French Oaks. They are now saying, hey, we played this composer too much in the minority circle. You can't play his music this year. You need to select from these other composers. Um, I agree with you said. It's really based on the person and the person who um, mentally can take on that. If you can mentally take on that, then I agree. Go in and, and shake some shit up. I mean, you know, there um, a lot of you have this kind of mindset within the like from a uh, a minority perspective. You have the mindset of okay. I'm going to use them. I'm going to go in and then I'm going to start shaking shit up because you got to get in first before you can do it because you can talk so much on the outside, but a lot is not going to get fixed because you're on the outside. But when you get in, then you could really do some change. But then on the flip side, you're like, if they don't truly want me there, why am I there? I don't need to be there. Why am I going to put myself through uh so being anxious always thinking you know i'm never good enough mm -hmm. all of that mental stress for for what because the the shaking the table sometimes take a, a long time yes it takes a long time so that's another argument for the other side is like what am i here for you know i'm i don't see the change right now so, you know, basically you didn't hit my, you didn't hit my head with a bat. So I'm just sitting here and, and especially if you're the one of one. One of one. So it depends on your, the person. What are your core values when it comes to things like this? Because some can't do it and some can't. I wonder if that will also, like, okay, we choose schools because of XXX. The main reason some of us choose schools are the teachers, as they should be. I wonder if that teacher said something to that student, and if that student would change their mind or just be like, well, I accept the fact of life. Like, that's another whole emotional damage. Not damage, but stress you have to go through. Like, oh, I thought this teacher, like, cared about me. I thought we were building connection. And they're like, yeah, here, A and B. Here's what, here, if I have A and B. A is here, B is here. I've been choosing A. I need to start choosing B. And then you're the one who's chosen and you are B. How you gonna feel? Mm. I think, first of all, I hate the idea that it's being put into like this idea of percentages. Like, and that is something that is happening because, like, especially like um, organizations, especially nonprofits, some when they report, they have to report on numbers, right? And stats. And that is how they have to report it. And they say, well, if, if it's 10, we need to bump that up to 20%, right? To, mm -hmm. Or 30% or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing, though, is exactly what I can't remember which of whoever, which of y'all were saying this, but the idea of like who was doing it before this and how they were doing it. Because I will have to say, whenever I was um, at a, whenever I was a, 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 a senior in high school going to freshman year of college and I did Credo Flute, 
in Elmhurst, Illinois. And um, the food professor at Eastman was there. And I remember we had these chats where we got to just ask Q&A questions. And a lot of students were asking a lot of admissions questions and a lot of things like that. And they were anonymous. And I remember asking like, you know, what, how do you choose between if you have a student who's come from a very like privileged area in the sense that they had, they got a big youth symphony there. They had all these amazing musicians who were just at their disposal, all these things versus someone who came from a very small place that really did not have access to those or the financial resources to do those things. How do you differentiate between those two people in an audition? Mm. And the answer to that was exactly what I needed to hear going into college, which was, um, like I basically she was like, I look at what the person who the person is and what they did with from where they came from. Mm. And I really needed I really needed to hear that coming from because I was the only first of all, I was the only black person there. I was the only person from the South. Mm. Everyone had been New York, Chicago, L.A. at all the major youth symphonies studying with the craziest teachers playing all the craziest music. And that just wasn't my life. That wasn't my life. And I needed to hear that that was going to be thought about in the in audition processes. And this is coming from someone who's at Eastman. You know what I mean? So, and not, but let me tell you something. Not everyone there thinks that way. But yeah. I was glad to hear that from her. And her studio actually has had some of the craziest, most diverse, like amazing artists who have come out of there. So it kind of makes sense that when you're thinking that way, that's going to naturally happen. So that's kind of what I'm getting to is that you don't, if you're thinking intentionally like that, where you're going, you're in an audition room, you hear 50 people and you go, there are people, if I wanted to just go based solely off of who came in today and played everything down the way that I wanted them to play, that's gonna be a completely different pool of people than the people I would actually select to be in my studio or for the job, if you're thinking that way as well, because I can see people from where they are to where they can grow to, and also something that would be beneficial for the group and the ecosystem that we're existing in to have in that space. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I don't necessarily think that we have to think about it numerically or like, oh, you only have this one. But like, what did you do mentally during your, your decision making mm -hmm. process that led to those equitable choices? Mm -hmm. You know, before we leave, I want to pose a question to you two and for our audience. Um, Michael brought up the, the topic of, you know, after the Black Lives Matter movement and especially after 2020, you know, certain studios started to include Black students and minority students into their into their studio. More frequently. Um, my question is, do you think those professors that, you know, they got their initiatives from their higher powers and now they do incorporate more of a diverse studio. Do you think they still have their mindset before these initiatives? Or do you think because of these initiatives, they have like welcomed in a change, in a mindset change, like, wow, I was really doing this wrong. Because some people, they really don't know, or maybe they don't subconsciously they don't understand. They didn't really realize that who was in front of them looked like them and didn't look like anybody else. So do you think that they were just like, hmm, wow, I cannot believe I was programming or or in my studio like this. So I'm, I'm thankful for these initiatives and I'm going to make it better. Mm -hmm. mm. Which one? 
do you think they they are like I still don't believe they should be here or huh I'm glad for this initiative and um you know I, I'm gonna make some changes and they truly mean that Michael, you got it. I'm a pessimist. So I, pessimist slash realist. I think at the beginning of it, they were like, burn this hoe. <laughs> I'm going to burn it. Ooh. And then after, after they met the people, talked to the people, I think that started to influence their change. But, I mean, we still look at some of the biggest studios, the most prestigious schools with these new initiatives. And do they look different? Or do they just put the people on the cover? And that's like the, like some of the studios I was thinking about going to for my master's. I look at them now, I say, woo, there's a lot of white people. I know they can't cook. I know I will go starving in that studio. Also, it'll be boring. Also, why do I want to be surrounded by people that look like me? I've lived my life that way. I'm good. I'm chill. But like, I don't know. I think it started that. And then the people who've actually continued it have been like, wow, I made mistakes. I will be better. Now, the people who kind of went like, when was BLM started? I mean, it kind of picked up in 2020. I would say that's the climax, but it started, you know, it was like 2016, 2014. Yeah, 14, 16, yeah, and above. With like Trayvon Martin and all that. And so like around then they were like, okay, they did it for a couple of years and they were like, mm. and those people, you're like, okay, you, 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 you know, you know what's up. That's why this whole initiatives, um, I can't accurately judge it until like 2024, mm. 2025. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. then we'll see like okay what we doing oh we ain't doing that no more cool weird i i agree i think that maybe some people initially just did they you know whatever their schools told them they had to change they just did it to appease them and then they realized like oh wait this is actually great to do um and maybe they'll continue doing it and there are people who are are putting people in their studio and then making their lives absolute hell because they don't believe they should be there. And I think that needs to be talked about just as much of them getting to say, oh, I checked it off. I have this so-and-so people in my studio, but they leave with trauma and they leave with baggage and they leave with all these, like I, all the things I heard ooh, about some schools in Georgia too. I'm looking at y'all, like what you do to your students and the things you say to your students. And you, but you can go out to your educator friends and go, oh, I have this amazing black student. I have this amazing like Muslim student. I have this amazing, you know, like, so I, that's why part of me, I'm kind of like, are these initiatives more to save the school and the teachers as, or it, is it actually to benefit the minorities who are being given the opportunity to be in those programs? Because most of the time it's A. Most of the time it is A. The most benefit it comes to is to the pr- teachers and the programs that the students are in. And the students are fighting for their life and their mental health while in those programs. Um, and you should all, always observe when you're the only person who looks like you wherever you are. And those are things that the, the mental you you have to think about what you are, what's what you can do, what you are able to handle. Because some people are able to handle things completely different than other people. That is just the truth behind it, right? 
Um, and you have to think about what your trajectory, what you want to do with your life, your goals, and if the, what you're doing right now is going to help you achieve them, or if you're just more interested in being in a place where you feel like you're not the only person. Um, unfortunately for me, where my route, I've basically been one of the only, if not the only person who looked like me in most of the rooms and spaces I've occupied. Um, and I've had to come to terms with that to understand that I'm working towards something greater that can hopefully in, in the future help more people who do look like me, right? But not everyone, that's not everyone's path, if you know what I'm saying, right? So and you, no one, not everyone needs to feel that way. So yeah, these are these are the conversations to be had. Like the like the, they don't the initiatives are just that. They're initiatives. It's what's done after the initiatives are done and 20, 20 years past when they started that you'll actually see what the change actually was. But mm -hmm. until then until then. <laughs> until then. Oh Lord y'all. Well, I mean, this conversation, obviously, like most of our conversations are never over. We will continue because these things will keep popping up. But um, let us know what you thought about it. Like, let us know. Did you did you feel seen with this? Did you really feel like, ooh, that kind of stung? Like, let us know. We want to know. Um, and we want to continue to have these conversations. Um, make sure to go back and check out our first few episodes we had. They were all so, so, so amazing. Go check out also our new Instagram is Relative Pitch Podcast. Go check us out there. We have a lot of new clips out. Go check out our website. It's looking all good and fresh and amazing. Um, and we will see y'all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.